0: You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Liam Curley and Paul Hemming from C-Link discuss how small and medium-sized developers can level up their business through smart construction management.
1: Paul, you're back again. I am back. (laughs) How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, mate. How are you?
0: I'm oh, good, thanks. And we've got Jason. Uh I didn't think he would, but he, he he's come back. We've got the main man back. We've got Jason, the main man, Jason Finell um, from commercial risk management. How are you doing, Jason?
2: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: I'm doing well. And you both? Yeah, we're doing well, I'm I'm doing well, I think Paul as well, yeah. <laughs> um so we uh we're gonna go back to our scenarios again, which I enjoy I always enjoy um so the topic for this episode is architect and delay analysis so uh this is uh this is going to be around a poor performing architect obviously no one that we know i, I don't know any uh, architects like that
1: well i was going to say you've got two you got two qs's uh in the in the room talking about architects is a bit unfair liam uh yeah We well, need more balance. <laughs>
0: we'll try, we'll try and go out to the market and see if uh we can find any architect that will that will join us next time. But uh until then they're unrepresented and uh we're putting them on a the naughty step. So um so what we're gonna do, so this is about architects and analysis. Just like last time, we've got a scenario and we're gonna put uh put the scenario to, to uh to Jason and Paul, and um, and ask some questions on the back of that. So, shall I get straight into this scenario?
1: Yes, please. Yes, Other
0: please. Way. All right. So, we're a property developer acting as a main contractor on projects, and during a recent project, we experienced program issues relating to the design team and suffered delays that extended the overall program. Okay, so the first question is there was a 14-week design delay. As developer, we accept that some of the matters were third-party related, i.e. Network Rail. However, we believe that the design team was under-resourced throughout. How can we evidence... And analyse this delay to clarify the breakdown in responsibility. What do you think, Jason?
2: This—it's um, a familiar scenario. It's a familiar scenario. Liam, um, people often rush in to placing orders with consultants because they're the first people that they need for the project, and all too often, not enough attention is given to making sure that the consultancy agreement is set up in a way that actually helps you to monitor what they should be doing and when they should be doing it. Um, For instance, it it wouldn't be unreasonable to say how many designers you're going to have working on this job. Um, And also to define in the consultancy agreement deliverables and key stages. So, that rather than waiting until you at the end of the development, you say we're 14 <coughs> weeks late, mm-hmm. y- you could start to see trends as an emerging. So, you yeah. say, well, you know, but by the time we're appointing the contractor, we're doing five percent, or whatever it might be, you to enable uh, you to, to do your procurement. It's, so, what I'm saying is, it's the consultancy agreement that really is the. Uh, the place that you ought to have recourse to sorry
1: on call. no no it's uh interesting uh, that you say that um so does the um does the jct um have a consultancy agreement as a standard as a for instance
2: um
1: what is the standard
2: not jct but you get um reba and okay you want, what what um, design stages there should be consultancy agreements sub bespoke agreements it's a matter of making sure that those bespoke agreements actually give you what you want so you you get a standard um the standard RIPA would give you um levels of service but it might not necessarily go to the detail that you need to be able to monitor progress i mean when all said and done um an architect is supplying services just the same as a subcontractor is Providing, you know,
0: that oh, yeah. stuff contract works. So essentially, what we're saying is, uh, for that question, how can we evidence and analyse this delay to clarify the breakdown and responsibility? What's critical is in that initial consultant uh, contract, you need to have it clear what your expectations are of resource. Otherwise, you have uh, otherwise, if that isn't clear, you have no way of. There, there is there is no defined expectation um on on resource what is resor- what is well resourced yeah
2: not not only resource but also deliverables you know how, how many one to a hundred drawings are they going to do at general arrangement level how mm. many sections how, how many details you know in, in terms of the uh, key parts of the contract what needs to be drawn so that you can actually procure it and have it built. So right. you, you need to, it's like all of these things, you need to put a lot of thought in at the beginning rather than regret not having spent the time at the end when you need it.
1: Yeah, I guess um, it's. it sounds like, so in, in your role as uh, adjudicator and having sat on, um, I don't know if you ever sat on any disputes like this, but it sounds like what you're saying is, um the thought that goes into consultancy agreements, uh, generally, or or sometimes, or or often, is not the same level of thought that you see going into subcontracts or main contracts. So when you're actually a developer employing a builder, whether it's a sub subbie or a main contractor, you really go into thought. You're thinking about the scope of work. You're thinking about the program. You're thinking about how many how many operatives are you going to have on site. What's your supervision going to be? That that's where your thought goes. Are you saying that often when you sit on uh, as a third party independent looking at projects like this, you think uh, that is not the level of detail and thought that goes into a uh, consultancy agreement in this example for an architect?
2: Um, Quite often, that's the case. I mean, I have done a number of um, adjudications, uh, again, where the parties are designers and say clients, and it is normally about performance. And it's the same as any other contract. And we're not we're not straying into negligence here. We're talking about somebody who, you know, is performing in accordance with a contract and you've got to have some terms that you can monitor them with and manage them by.
1: And we we, we often um, talk at see Link here um, about uh, engaging contractors, right? So that would be... We, we, we talk a lot about how best to do subcontract procurement or contractor procurement. What does it, what, what does it look like? like we, we always talk about scope of works, bills of quantities, et cetera, et cetera, in a subcontract. What, what, are, you, uh, what are your must-haves in a consultant agreement with an architect?
2: Um, well, I, I keep coming back to the same thing, the, the deliverables. What are you actually going to do? And, and how many designers are you going to have working on my scheme? Um, I, I did a, a big rail dispute earlier this year um, with, the, it wasn't architects, it was um, engineers, but they, they were designing on this um, uh, rail renewal scheme. And the fee was just expressed as a percentage of the contract sum. And the dispute was brought by the designer because they'd run out of fee and they wanted more money. But um, Nobody had sat down at the beginning and said, "Well, what does your fee represent in terms of the number of designers you're going to have on the scheme?" Mm. And you know, wh- where is your risk? And and the designer in this case um, just said, "Well, we, we've run out of money, so now we need some more." So it's all variations, but th- there's no basis. There's nothing you could grab hold of to say, "Well, that's, what 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 were you doing in the first place, and what's changed?"
1: yeah is 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 that the thing though um, uh, that perhaps in terms of mindset as a developer is viewed differently i.e the risk you th- you think when you're employing an architect um, you, you don't have the same level of risk as when you're employing a builder right and that might be for a perception or a number of reasons but
0: the value of the contract is i guess is lower compared to the construction and it, yeah feels less risky.
2: But I think perhaps we're all a bit intimidated as well by professionals at times, somebody who does something that you don't do. I mean, if you said, well...
1: That's why we're all intimidated. Of you, Jason?
2: <laughs> if, I, if I say, oh, I'm going to have a ceiling plastered in my house, we'd all like to think we know something about ceilings and plastering, don't we? Mm-hmm. But if you said, oh, I'm going to have somebody design a house for me, you start to be a bit in awe of them. And, and to right. say impertinent things like, well what are you actually going to do for this fee? You know, some of us might just, and and I think it it is a little bit of that, not understanding what they are, not wanting to manage them because they're professionals and you expect a standard of conduct that that might be not there because you haven't defined it. And and quite often, I mean, we've talked about it in the past, a contract is really just about um, validating your expectations of what somebody's going to do for you. And if the contract doesn't articulate what they're going to do and what you think they should be doing, then it's at some point or another, it's likely that you're going to fail. Yeah. Something's not going to lead to your life.
1: I think that's actually, I've never thought about it that way. And I think that does make sense in terms of there is this expectation as well of you're the super duper professional. I'm employing you just, you know what I need. I don't get it done. Uh, That doesn't always, that doesn't always happen. Um, I, I think you've hit the nail bang on the head there, Paul.
2: It's um, p- people have got an expectation, but architects are just going to come along and provide a service just the same as then, you know, your plasterer, your plumber, or anybody else. And it's a matter of putting some thought and definition, but what that service will be I, for your particular job.
0: I think it's also, uh, like you touched on, it's a fear of asking questions that, that you, you worry may make the other party think that you you you're pretty inexperienced or don't know what you're doing because you don't want to ask questions or ask for things you're assuming that they're giving you the form of contract or agreement that is that they deal with it all the time you don't want to look like an amateur so you are to ask the question that may make you look like one
1: i think that one of the one of the when I speak to people about the value they get out of the, uh, out of these podcasts and out of the eBooks that we've done, it's always it's always actually helping them with that because if you actually, I've I've done a lot of different projects, right? But if I was and I've, I've procured hundreds of millions of building contracts, but if you asked me um, how many, okay, so there's a ten-story apartment block, and you said at the start, Jason, you needed to list out the number of elev- elevations, number of plans, number of this, number of that. I don't even think I could do that, right? So how do I do? If I'm the developer and I don't know, that's the, a that's the question we want to answer, isn't it, here? What is the answer to that? Do we ask the architect? Do we say how many elevators are you going to do? How many plans are you going to do, et cetera, et cetera? And then we put that in the contract? or I,
2: I, That would be a good starting point, but perhaps don't start with one and say, well, you know, I'm going to pick this architect. You might want to interview two or three. And, and develop your brief and develop the contract through those conversations. But it does mean putting some time into it and saying, because you might find that one will say something to you that will trigger um, the conversation you had with the previous architect and say, well, we didn't cover that. So we, we need to put that in as well. And it, mm-hmm. it is a matter of um, working up a brief so that you get what you want. And, and going back to the points we've just been talking about there. I, I always like it when you're in a meeting with somebody and they'll say something like, forgive me if I ask a question that appears stupid. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. So to have, to have yeah. the bravery to say, I don't mind making myself look stupid. If it means I'm going to save myself a bucket full of money down the path, I'll ask the stupid question. And, yeah, and, absolutely. and you know, you're absolutely right, Liam. If you're a little bit intimidated by thinking that somebody has got more knowledge about their specialist subject and you don't want to appear ignorant, you won't ask that question unless you can just say well actually i don't mind making a fool of myself because it just shows that that's why i'm employing you
1: yeah
0: the people with you tend to find the people with the courage and belief in themselves will not be afraid to ask stupid questions or because the, there is no stupid question is there um but yeah you've just got out the courage and yeah yeah I, I i agree with that i think that was good advice to take a quick break from the show to share a message from our sponsor, C-Link. C-Link is software designed to streamline the process of subcontract procurement. It's a platform that helps SME developers and main contractors stay agile whilst replicating the commercial scale and savvy of large contractors. If you want to save a guaranteed minimum 5% against budget construction costs on your next project, head to www.get.c-link.com podcast to find out more. If you're driving or working out right now and didn't catch that URL, don't sweat it. We've included the link in the description box for this episode. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, let's move on to the next question. But I I think a lot of this is going to come down to the contract, but let's see. So the master program was included within the architect's order, but there were no provision for delay damages, okay? So we, the developer suffered extra costs due to the delays that we mentioned. Are we entitled to recover these costs? And if so, how do we go about this?
2: This is your classic "that depends" response.
1: Mm. Are you going to sit on the fence?
2: No, I'm not going to sit on the fence. <laughs> if if it depends on the quality of your contracts, if you've actually made time of the essence and put some damages into the contracts with the architect, your agreement, then you've got something that you can actually fight on. Mm. If if you haven't, and then you're relying on whether they should have known that it would cost you money if they went late. you are not to prove that, you know, that should have been the case. And then you may be straying into negligence. And as soon as you're into negligence, you then have a higher threshold um, to, to climb over because you've got to prove that another professional wouldn't have done the same thing. So that, that, that starts to get more complicated. I think if, if you're able to, Properly define your contracts. That gives you a far, um, a far more certain position to start from.
1: Is 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 it um, is it standard practice to put delayed damages in a consultant's agreement, for example, with the architect, in the same way it is with a main contractor or with a subcontractor, where they have LADs? Is that something that you would have in a consultant's agreement? Do you see it? Well, the
2: another difficulty you get, Paul, is. Most designers, their fees are based on a proportion of the job. Yeah. And if if you think about um, the level of fee compared to the delay that might be incurred if something does go late and the costs, borrowings, mm-hmm. paying main contractors, damages, loss and expense, that sort of thing, that, that there isn't the... there isn't the fat in in a consultant's fees to be able to stand that sort of damages. So no, to answer your question, it's it's not, it's not usual. Um, And and that's part of the reason why people have gone away from uh, traditional design contracts and and tried to make the, the uh, contractor responsible for the design underperformance.
1: Yeah. So D and B.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, it's, it's fine chastising a consultant for failing, but if he can't afford, because his fee, you're not paying him enough effectively for him yeah. to be able to stand that. Hit. It's just on a commercial basis, it's just not viable. So no, it's, it's not usual, but you can, you can have a contract that will, um, not penalize but the, but will encourage progress almost encourage progress exactly
1: that yeah yeah and and, I, and, I have uh,
2: seen that the other way i have seen that by um incentivization uh, by saying you know um quite often i've seen certainly on, on some of the larger schemes where uh there may be a percentage of the fee so 75 percent of the fee paid which covers cost and then you know there's an incentive payment for completing the design or making sure that there's okay. that there's no grounds so it's it's more of a um, a carrot sort of basis rather than a stick because the stick don't won't work if there isn't enough um, money in the fee overall anyway to be and, honest, that's,
1: and that's quite an interesting angle because what i've seen a lot from a lot of our clients on the sme development side is that they're they'll be employing architects who are naturally quite stretched in terms of, re- of resource. They know that they're, they're, the resource the this architect is perhaps not uh, allocated quite as it could be to their project and they feel like they're getting the... Uh, Wrong end of the, uh, the a bad deal effectively with the architect who is really stretched but is resourcing one project bigger than the other. But that's a really interesting way. Rather than and in the typical QEs fashion, I jumped straight to delay damages, didn't I? How how can we stop them from doing it? But um, rather than uh, pr- rather than hitting someone when they've been they uh, perform performed poorly, incentivize them to be to be the yeah incentivise good performance and and when the architect has two projects that. He, he, they can choose from they can choose yours as the one that is far more um, attractive to uh push if that makes sense yeah,
0: because what what we're saying is what you're saying there, Jason, is essentially to that question is that um, you whether or not you can prove that the architect was the cause of uh, the delays you're not going they're not going to cover the damages but in reality so it's a pointless exercise not pointless but you're much better off um uh, you're much better off focusing on, on yeah fo- focusing on how, how do i stop these delays happening rather than yeah I'll just hammer someone up once they do because you're not going to get your money back that you've lost
1: you make me look bad now saying hammer people. I was just doing my natural reaction, Liam, as a QS. Come on. All right, okay. You're not going to be
0: able to really squeeze them,
1: are
2: you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, It's also, I mean, when you look at um, uh, negligence claims, insurance claims, it is normally because you've got a catastrophic, a catastrophic failure and it's worth pursuing because the insurers is gonna st- uh, are going to stand behind it. And, you know, you're going to exceed the excess that the architect or the consultant will probably pay themselves and and then access the the funds that the insurers have got. Um, But, you know, that that has got to be um, a fairly major failure and and that will be negligence based. Um, And I mean, you're probably finding the same in common with everybody in the industry, PI insurance premiums they're going sky high. The are yeah, um, crazy, aren't they? The PI insurance market in the UK is toxic. It's, um, you know, so I think insurers are going to kick back far more in terms of um, whether they pay out. So that that's a hard road. Yeah, and
1: getting to, getting to that position isn't, is, isn't productive for your job anyway, is it, for your project? So, I mean, it, like, you're absolutely right. The last thing you want to be doing is getting to the point where we are in this example where you're, 14 weeks delayed, and you're thinking, right, whose fault is this? You, what you want to be doing is being on time and encouraging uh, people to uh, get get things moving so that you're not 14 weeks delayed. You've, you've just completed a groundwork in your frame or whatever at that point.
2: But it's the same. I mean, design management um, is the same as managing a subcontractor and managing anybody. If you've got a decent uh, consultancy agreement with the architects, and you know what the stage they should have reached – each month then you can actually monitor it Mm. and you've got a meaningful tool to say well you know you should have done x many um, drawings you've only done y many drawings. what is the cause And they might say well it's because we're waiting for information from the planning authority or we've got you know party wall issues or whatever it might be but you could at least do some sort of investigation and say right fine we've got to you know take some um some action to make sure that we catch the time back or at least it doesn't get worse and if that means adding more resources in or whatever it might be but if you haven't got a tool that will give you the ability to monitor it then mm-hmm. all you're going to do is just say well i think you're you're, you're under resourcing this job but i've got nothing to go yeah on. well
1: that's so that's we're kind of getting the flesh on the bones now aren't we of what this consultant agreement should include so you talked earlier about being able to manage them and be able to monitor them. So if you, if if we're saying like at the at the uh, procurement stage of this architect, we've talked to two or three different architects, and we kind of get the idea that we're talking about I don't know five plans, five elevations, ten detailed drawings, ten sections. Um, you you actually build out the scope of work, and you're saying, well, I'm expecting the five plans in the first month, I'm expecting the elevations and the sections of details in the second month. You actually then get to a point where you're saying after four weeks where are the where are the plans that and, and knowing that you're late there and not and be able to uh, pursue it and progress it that way so built really building out that schedule of de- deliverables uh, definitely makes sense
0: beyond beyond those deliverables Jason um so in our scenario we we've we've put out that the architect was uh was the lead consultant um and but but on many occasions, we, we've had to lead coordination between the architects and, and various other consultants. So you've got the deliverables that Paul mentioned, which are easy to measure. Is there any way that you could um, put milestones or deliverables with regards to what you expect as a lead consultant managing other consultants?
2: But, but one of the areas i'm not being critical of architects or any other designers but go easy well i mean a, a lot of them a lot of people just want to do the designing part the managing side is um you know
1: less pleasant
2: yeah not well and not what they didn't
0: get into the job for the managing
2: exactly exactly yeah. um i mean the best performing consultants i've worked with have had on the design management side have had say a QS or or a non-designed qualified person dealing with the design management and and cascading the same thing. If you're the lead uh, designer and you've got an M&E consultant, structural consultant, um, acoustics and all the rest of it, understanding what they've got to provide as part of their scope of services and when they're gonna provide it and when it needs to be provided to enable the works to be procured and then carried out
1: you can really see why 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 you get so many problems at the SME level right because number one you've got to get the consultant agreement right with the architect and if you don't get that right you're struggling to monitor the architect and then there, you're asking, expecting them to coordinate with other the services engineer the structural engineer right what, what's in their agreements so you've potentially got three agreements from three core members of the design team all of which are very difficult to measure and nobody particularly wants to be managing them right
2: there's something else as well, Paul, is um, what one, and it applies to most things, is roles and responsibilities. I mean, the number of times I've come across um, issues with with design management where the architect didn't even know he was expected to be the lead designer because, you know, they, they were all given um, people try to do things on the cheap so they'll say well i've got this uh, consultancy agreement that i picked up on a previous job i'll use that tipex out the names find it across and, and think well i've saved myself a few quid but you haven't because you haven't got what you needed then
1: yeah
2: you know in terms of you say well if i want the architect to be the new designer it's got to be one of the services defined in his um, consultancy agreement And if it's not, you know, he can be forgiven for saying, well, nobody told me, Um, you know, I'll do it if you want me to. But, you know, you're not you're not defining what it is you're expecting. And with with SMEs, perhaps there is a, a desire to get on and do things rather than, you know, sit there and do nothing and have a yeah. think about it for a few minutes, that might actually pay you dividends in the long run.
1: But I think just by this conversation alone, we're showing how uh, complicated the whole design management process is and how many uh, um, trip-ups you can have. So you've got to spend time thinking about it, haven't you? Yeah.
2: Well, you, you, if you don't get it right at the beginning, then you're chasing that problem all the way through. Yeah. And if you didn't know – and. You know you, you didn't clear out the extent of the design that the architect was going to do in the first place and I, i've seen it very recently where um the specification for the main contractor was written for a dnb project accepting that the contract was for a traditional um supply and install contract
0: mm.
2: and the architect behaved as if it was a dnb because that's what the contract documents originally were going to be, and the contracts have pushed contracts have pushed back and said, "No, I'm not doing it on that basis." And there was a complete mismatch between what people thought they were doing, and and that's not uncommon. Yeah, um, you know, documents being compiled for one job and then used on another because it's 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 Keep easy, it. but it's not yeah. done. Yeah, it's cheaper and it's not done properly. Yeah. And and then so, the finish up, you end up paying. Um, for what you get, you know. Yeah. It's, uh...
0: so perhaps then the two things that I drew out of that were number one, during procurement, it's a good idea to ask, A, to make it clear in a conversation and in the contract that you expect and require them to be the lead consultant. Uh, and B, ask them who will be managed, who will be managing the design on your, from your team. Because you're looking for them to say, we have a project manager, we have a design manager, not, I'll be doing it. And that doesn't mean they can't do it, but um, it's a good sign if they have someone in their team. Or a defined role. Or,
1: yeah,
0: A defined role, somebody who is a, who is the manager of the project.
1: But it, the
2: same way as you would go through pre-start minutes with a subcontractor and say, well, who's going to be your um manager on site how many formal are you going to have and all this sort of thing mm. if you said well who's the partner responsible for this job who, who is going to be the principal designer working for it and and who else is there and get their roles responsibilities and their names rather, rather than just saying oh well i've got a fee of four percent of the contract so it's, it's not going to take you very far you yeah. need to have
1: more definition you always make it sound so simple jason and it is this is the thing the beauty of all of this is that a lot of it is quite simple common sense just think about it take time over it uh, and record it in a in a document whether it's a subcontract or a consultant's agreement or a main contract record what you're doing in a proper document think about it and you should be in a position where then um you can manage it. Uh, well, you'd be much
2: much better off. I mean, hindsight, as we've already said, is uh, many times a penny a bucket. But you, you're better off trying to apply a little bit of that into foresight and um, mm. you know say stop and think rather, rather than just get somebody on board as quickly as possible and then we'll learn about it as we go along. It doesn't. You know, you'd be lucky if it works, but it
0: won't. I think that's, that, that's, I think it's been really good. I've um, that's some great insight there, Jason. And uh, I think it's probably an area. I don't know, Paul. You tell me. I think it's an area that often doesn't get a great deal of consideration.
1: Mm. It's easy. I always think it's a bit easier to focus on the builder than it is on the on the designer. Um, but I've said this before. I'll say it again. Whenever Jason comes on, and this is, uh, it, it's only a reflection on me. I, I just, I have the time of my life. For half an
2: hour. <laughs> good. Well, it's I'm so, p- pleased so, I'm making you so, happy.
1: Yeah, you, you, you do, Jason. You really, I mean, I have to spend, you'll have, you have to feel for me. I spend most of my weeks talking to Liam. And that, that, can, that can be hard at the best of times. So this is a fantastic break for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
0: good stuff. Yeah, me, me too. He gets about 90% of the airtime usually. So <laughs> uh, it, it's good to have someone else um, taking something up because, yeah, I hear a lot from him. <laughs> All right, in there, uh, gents. Um, we'll wrap it up, and um, yeah, see you. See you soon. Hopefully, Jason. I'll speak to you soon, Jason.
2: Okay, look That's forward to it, Jason. Cheers, Thanks, guys. guys. See you, Paul. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye.